well, I do appreciate that, and hopefully uh, we get something good out of this. Yeah, looking forward to it. Feeling a little bit nervous as well. I, I very happy. I always get jitters a little bit when I'm about to do an interview. Like when when I'm just recording the the general show with my uh, with my partner about it, it's it's pretty easy because we're just goofing off. But when you're talking to somebody new. There is that urge of like, oh, I want to, I want to put on a good face for them. Where it's like, I don't want them to feel like I'm wasting their time or anything. But I'm sure this will be good. Okay. I'm also sure it will be good. And just like, let's just have fun with the conversation. Sounds great. All right. Such a program is not an idle fantasy. I would invite anyone who wished to devote his time to the inner quest to join me. Nobody can make a model that includes everything. If you included everything, all you'd perceive is chaos. It's not an institution. It's not a church. It's not a person. It's a, it's a breakthrough. It's a way out. It happens all the time, but doctors don't like to think about it because it seems too spooky. And that's only one aspect of metaprogramming, as I said. And we would learn together and experience together how to reach the five levels of consciousness. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to Chaos Magic News, the show that is really just one continuous initiation. Our anchor slacking meander or Kennedy is once again handing the interview reins over to me, your humble co-host. So with me today is transformational coach and self-described agent of change from the Cosmic Customer Care Department, Mariana Pinzon. How are you doing? And apologies for I'm butchering your name, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, well... You know, everything has its also linguistic perspectives. So this is just the way my name sounds with you. Yeah. <laughs> there, it's why I use, um, I use a fake name. That makes it, it it's easier. Then it's like, ah, you, you might have gotten it wrong, but it's not my name anyway. Who cares? <laughs> so how are you today? Yeah, a bit like fine, um, chilling out on Friday evening with uh, no further plans than talking to you this evening. So instead of decompressing from a weird week and curious and excited about talking to you. That's great. I I ended up uh, having an exceptionally busy week. Uh, for uh, Go behind the curtain for a second, listeners. We, we were planning on doing this last week, and then I just got so busy. I ended up actually taking off a little earlier from my job to make sure I could make some time for this. So hopefully it's, it's uh, some exciting stuff will come from this. I hope so, too. So I wanted to start with asking the question that we begin all of our interviews with. Why should you care about chaos magic? <laughs> hmm. I believe chaos magic offers a quite unconventional but very free and non-dogmatic approach to psycho-spiritual technology that in these weird times... It's very much needed that people venture up on these paths and understand how they can navigate the weirdness of the reality shifts we are currently undergoing and probably in an accelerated manner. Do you think that the age we're in now is particularly conducive to that sort of thing? Do you think that we are in a, an age of accelerated flux, I guess would be a, maybe a way of describing it? Yeah, it's my perception. 
I mean, who knows what people, I don't know, 500 years ago would perceive as accelerated change at the cusp of new technology. But from where I'm perceiving this whole show, I feel like the entering in this AI technology phase of development, things are just going to accelerate crazy fast in a way how our environment, our epistemologies, our semantics, our way of perceiving what is truth and what's not truth, and how do we even make sense of all of this? Um, yeah, it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna shift real fast, <laughs> and I think chaos magic is a, like a very beautiful way to mind fuck yourself in understanding how <laughs> how malleable this whole um, experience of reality can be, and getting comfortable in that uncertainty, and it offers a um, pretty wide range of tools to. Yeah, to navigate reality, I would say. I think that's probably one of the better answers we've gotten, especially in uh, one of our standard pod episodes. We talked about chaos magic as coming out of a a time of of great social upheaval, in, uh, in mm. you know particularly in England, and that chaos magic mu- existed aside from the uh, the you know the spooky woo woo end of it, but as a, a a philosophical approach to an age of incredible uncertainty, like you said. So I th- you know, it feels very appropriate. Now, from where I'm sitting, I do think that you're right that this is an age where things are going to be changing much. M- more and more faster as we go forward, especially like, you know, AI is right now is this one group is looking at it as, as if the, the techno saviors are here and the other half is looking like, oh, well, it's Skynet right around the corner. And uh, maybe somewhere between the, the tension of those two poles, you we can sort of look where the uncertainty and all of it's coming from. But and I'm I uh, I'm not sure how old you are. And I was told never to ask a, a lady her age, but, <laughs> but I, I know from just, uh, just in the, the time period that I've been alive, I've watched technology be the driving force of economic and social change throughout the world. And to think that we're just on like, like you ain't seen nothing yet is, uh, yeah. it's a little crazy to think about. So where did you get your start into, um, let's say the the unconventional end of psycho spiritual experience how did you get into the spooky stuff oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, i had an interest in the spooky stuff already very at a young age um i i grew up in in catholic paradigm mexico oh. and very early on i <clears throat> At least my mind was very unsatisfied with the answers I was getting from the people trying to transmit that worldview to me. And I started like looking very voraciously, I would say, for better answers to my questions around like, what the fuck is this world? (laughs) Why am I here? (laughs) What is this all about? As someone who was also raised Catholic, I... I relate to that tremendously, but do go on. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I think that the first avenue out of that was with like some neo-Hinduistic temple my art teacher took me to, where there was like meditation and um, yeah, 
sitting and doing mantras and stuff. Um, but there I also felt like when I was asked to bow to the to the picture, to a photograph of the guru <laughs> that was not even there, I felt like kind of like, mm, that just doesn't feel right. Maybe this isn't <laughs> um, quite as different as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, it... It was like I felt I felt it was aesthetically more pleasing because it was like you know nice cushions and sitting on the floor instead of like a hard bench <laughs> and sitting on cushions you know and the incense was also very nice and I I liked the chants way more as well so like the 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 general sensory experience of sitting in an ashram and um, as a way of like feeling good doing these practices was way better than church for sure. <laughs> But yeah, the whole thing with like bowing to to a spiritual authority, your little in some way just like felt deeply wrong. Your internal <laughs> in rebel mind. just reared its head. Yeah, 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 yeah. At a very young age, <laughs> so I kind of like I found some books around like Wicca, and I found some books around Castaneda, and I found some books about like um, magic. Different, like very, very few books that I could, like I could have access to on that time. And I would start just like practicing some of the stuff I had there. And this was about like between 14 and 19. And I also had my first mushroom trip at 17. So kind of like already at a very young age into exploring the boundaries of reality and what was possible and having sort of a deep thirst for this kind of knowledge and access. Okay, we. I, I, think, you, I think you have a, I don't want to say conventional, but a, a very relatable, if nothing else, uh, sort of foray into all of this. When you had your first mushroom trip, was that a, do you feel like that was part of this sort of spiritual quest? Did you think you were going to find God in the fungus? I had no idea what I was going to find. <laughs> you were just like, oh, this is this is supposed to be a, a very, this is supposed to be something. Was it just, uh, was it funsies or or did you approach it in that sort of uh, Castaneda or uh, McKenna sort of like, this is, this is going to be a tool for my spiritual growth? No, not like that. I think there, there was some intentionality in it in the sense of that I am, I approached it with respect and I did, I think, a little bit of dieting for a week and stopped smoking tobacco, and tried to eat clean and, and no meat and, and meditate a bit more in that week. And then I went out with friends um, to to behind Tepoztlan in Mexico, and we like picked the mushrooms ourselves. So like we're like hopping around, and you know, it's like finding them and eating them, and it was like kind of funsies um, hiking around <laughs> the trail and picking up the mushrooms. Comparing to to my first trip, it's like this sounds far more um, respectful and sacred rather than. You know, you you met somebody behind the gas station. And they gave you a little plastic baggie, <laughs> <laughs> and then you had to, and then you had to act really cool around your parents. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you guys were coming home. Why your eyes look like that? No, don't worry. About it. <laughs> but no, that's that's a uh, that's really interesting. Do you do you feel like that first trip actually put you on the path, or do you do you think that there was just that was just one of many experiences building to where you are now? Um, 
I would say it was definitely a, a very significant experience that um, shifted a lot for me and, and, and my perspective to the world. I remember like what, what was most salient for me, I think we were out in nature and just like hiking in the mountains. So like at some point I felt like this connection to the whole of nature and I sense like everything was breathing, everything was alive and the sun was shining right through me and I felt just like kind of like my body disintegrating into the whole of nature, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> and <laughs> I felt um, this oneness with the cosmos. It was, it, it was pretty cool, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, but I, I, I get where you're coming from because sometimes the, the words don't do it justice anyway. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. But it was not so much with the cosmos in that trip, but really like with the surrounding of nature. Mm -hmm. And when I closed my eyes, I also landed up at the crater of a volcano. Like I could look into a volcano. That was also pretty, pretty intense. That does sound intense. And then when I came back, when we came back to civilization, I... I experienced like just immense sadness, like looking at everybody going about what felt like they're going about robotic lives, like just like doing their daily tasks. And no. it felt so weird, like looking at the people and feeling like they did not have access to what I just experienced. And they're just going about the day in some form of robotic task. And I felt infinite sadness and infinite disgust for <laughs> all the all the dirtiness <laughs> and the the horrid architecture do you do you feel like that was a do you feel like that was a something you kept coming back to like where you'd have these really high spiritual or, or psychedelic experiences and then you'd come back to the world and, and just feel sort of like Oh, look at this. The, look at all of the sleepwalkers. Look at all of the machines just plodding around. Not so much anymore. Like my more my, my more recent experience, um, rather with, with, with acid, I kind of like took a liking more to acid than to, than to the mushroom. Really? Um, Interesting. Yeah, because the mushroom, I always have sort of one or two hours of physical discomfort. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. Okay. And then, yeah, I, I enjoy more the acid and the longer trip as well. Oh, yeah, that's another component. It comes more down to a thing of, I think it's, it gets me more to a point of like, okay, uh, it's so insignificant, everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, and not to, not to detract into my personal jibber jabber too much. I do find that is something that I, I did struggle with for a little bit is, is sort of going back into the world after these very high experiences, not just with, not just with drugs, but with when, when you had a really profound uh, magical experience or spiritual, whatever experience, and then having to remind yourself that like, you know, a lot of this day to day, what we would consider drudgery are the things that allow you the platform to do these other sort of to, to do to have these these peak experiences i guess and then mm. and you remember that the the zen adage of you know before enlightenment you chop wood carry water after enlightenment chop wood carry water and you, you sort of remind yourself that there there is well there's definitely a a, a balance to be found and, and it's very out of whack in our 
in the modernity that we find ourselves in. But they, it, it, there is a reason that people do what they have to do. <laughs> it's not, it isn't necessarily that everybody is, is completely uh, enslaved to the, the, the grinding hell world. Well, at the end of the day, each of the minds out there is a cosmos on their own, right? Even if they might not travel um, higher states of consciousness, they're still probably tapped in into some form of fantasy narrative or story that's going on in their mind and going on for them that paints their life in whichever colors. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's probably a good way of putting it. That every everyone does, everyone is a universe unto themselves in a way. Yeah, this 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 thought I've I've entertained for a bit. Um, I find that living in a mega city like Berlin also stresses a lot in the sense of like you go out there in this world and it's just like filled with millions of people. Every them, every 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 one of them in a super different and unique reality tunnel, dancing around so many different social circles and fields, having a complete different experience of the city and. Then I do enter a mode of like, because like kind of tapping into everybody's a unique mind and cosmos and reality tunnel here to navigate that overwhelm. I get more or less into this state of, okay, everybody's just like an NPC walking around. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the background, right? I don't engage. You don't engage. Like you try to like get your nervous system to not engage with all of that. In a way, it's beautiful chaos, <laughs> but also very overwhelming. Do you feel like that is um, almost a, a survival instinct, or the idea of seeing there's just so much going on? I have to, I have to find a way of maintaining that that space between me and this whirlwind that is uh, that is the hyper metropolitan. Yeah. Definitely a survival skill and um, much needed. And in a way, if you do it for too long, it also leads to some sort of dissociation. And I've heard that from a lot of like the hippies here in the city and like then go out into nature or like spend some weeks out of the city. And as soon as and, and then they realize when you're out in nature and are in the city, like the nervous system relaxes a lot more and you come back in the city and it's. And you start tensing up again, yeah. <laughs> tensing up again because it's just like so many different realities, just like superposition yeah. <laughs> on top of another. I, I suppose I, you've heard of Dunbar's number. The It's, it's this idea of uh, humans were, humans evolved or whatever to the idea of that there were supposed to be a tribe that was somewhere between 150 and 200 and anything beyond that causes like yeah. primate brain to go crazy. Yeah. And then you think of how many people live, how many people live in like a small town, which is like, if you know, let alone a huge city like Berlin. And it's like, man, we have, we have shot so far past this number. This is something I'm coming also to realize more and more like the, the way we have configured our civilizations is just not natural to what our nervous system needs. 
And this living in a mega city with people in this very anonymous way that you don't even really know your neighbors. Well, I do know, like we have a, a, a little bit of community going out in our building. But still, it's not very close, right? We're not cuddling yeah. all the time. Like our bodies <laughs> actually need to be around a, a, a very stable group of other bodies where we have regular physical contact with so, so that our nervous system can synchronize to each other, which mm. creates more well-being. And I think, or I believe, I don't know if it's a belief or a thought, <laughs> but uh, out of the information I've sourced, um, I do hold the belief that um, a lot of the psychosis, a lot of the anxiety um, that we experience in our Western individualized cultural world configuration um, also comes out of that, that we don't have that regular base contact with a group of bodies mm. that is familiar to us. In a way, it's, uh, it's, it's that you could phrase it as there are a lot of us really go through our day-to-day -day lives without actually feeling like we belong to any sort of tribe and we don't particularly yeah. feel safe where we're at. It's like we understand the environment that we're in as like, this is where I live, but it doesn't particularly, it doesn't feel like a welcoming or safe environment. It's just a, a place. Yeah. And I guess that would bring us to uh, like a, a sort of a bio survival circuit first, you know, first circuit type thing. You can get stuck with a, a particular uh, survival response simply because being around entities that you don't actually feel like are uh, safe to be around. And you're not connected to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like the safety, and that's, that, that's an interesting thing, right? Safety. Sure, you can create safety within, you can regulate your own nervous system. But at the end of the day, we're social animals, and a lot of the safety happens as well in co regulation. So, like syncing up with other bodies, yeah. breathing together, cuddling, yeah. and only a few, <laughs> a few privileged hippies <laughs> <laughs> create themselves game worlds where they can have that. Yeah, yeah. And then you, I, I think the internet is very interesting in that it does allow conversations like this to happen. Where you know you didn't know me from Adam until you saw me on the internet box and we were able to talk, but there is still a, a, a vast disconnect because you're, there's literally an ocean between the two of us. So even if you find people that you can have similar um, intellectual discourse with, you're right, there is a, you know, I can't reach out and touch you right now. And I, no. it, and it's, it's, it's good on one hand because people do get that sort of find the others or they get the answer to that, find the others thing. But in a way, it is a, a, maybe a facsimile of the actual thing or the maybe the ideal conditions of finding the others. And I think this, um, yeah, this problem will exacerbate a little bit in the ongoing age of technology as we have like even the robots mediating more between one another. So like I'm talking to a robot and my robot will be talking to your robot and then you can talk to your robot. <laughs> oh no, I don't, I, I already don't like this. 
No. Now, I guess as you mentioned that you can, you know, th there are things that you can do as an individual that, you know, you can create feelings of, of, uh, of safety or you can do things to mess with your own particular nervous system so that maybe the anxiety of the modern world doesn't hit you quite as badly or something like that. But do you think that, do you think that there is an actual answer to this sort of anxiety uh, tension problem that would allow for these sort of like, you know, mega cities to still exist the way that our civilization exists? Or do you think it's like the only real way we're going to address this is to address how we live? Hmm. Ooh, I don't know. Um, That's an acceptable answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah. I like that answer a lot. <laughs> it's uh, I think in a lot of ways, it's the answer that people are so afraid to give. But the problem is, is I don't know is always correct. <laughs> if you don't know, <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> but I guess it is, it is something to think about. You do, you do wonder if, uh, in, in the same way that I like, I'll use, uh, like the meat industry as an example where the, for a lot of people, the only answer to the the environmental and the health effects and all these uh, of uh, of the consumption of meat, the only answer for a lot of people is to say it's like, listen, this industry just can't exist anymore, mm. <laughs> you know, and that would require a huge change in not just the way that we consume food, but nearly everything. We grow droves and droves of corn that exist to feed animals that we're going to eat later, for example. And it's just the answer for a lot of people. The answer is like, there's no, there's no mitigating. There's no compromising. It can only be like the only viable answer to this is to simply change the way that we as a planet live and consume resources. But well, there's probably a lot of changes we'll have to make and a lot of adjustments. And at the end of the day, I, I, I sense that probably we will be forced to adapt <laughs> faster than we <laughs> than we care for and faster than our political systems or current constructions of economic um, um yeah current economic structures will be able to adapt to so i don't know <laughs> like i don't know i i just sense these things are about to become very chaotic in the next decades as as environmental changes happen whatever the the the, the actual or factual reason for them might be um and around this whole, whole ai technology um, and the the yeah the changes in in social structures that will happen to that as a whole work market what do you think of the idea of AI as a, a solution to the, the fact that our, like you said, our political and economic systems are, they're, they're poised to collapse if we were to change things too quickly. And there's a lot of, uh, and I, I don't say that these are from necessarily credible or informed people, but the idea has been floated that perhaps these, these sort of, uh, large language models and machine learning type of AIs could be used to uh, to run systems more efficiently than humans could, probably, <laughs> probably. I mean, now at the same time, it's like, what happens when the AI says, "Well, the answer is we've just got to kill, you know, fifty million people." Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> the error is in Homo sapiens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, if we just kill all the people, these issues would go away. Ah, crap. Now we have made Skynet. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. We've mentioned like, uh, we've talked reality tunnels a little bit. We've, we've thrown that word around. Uh, we won't, I won't sidebar for the listeners to explain what we mean, but I would like to talk to you a little bit about, cause you, you've mentioned, uh, finding the Wicca books and the Castaneda and stuff like that. So when did, uh, Robert Anton Wilson come into the picture for you? Was that, was that post psychedelics? Was he part of your formative bringing all that? I mean, cause, uh, well, you've got 23 in your, uh, your username and your Discordian Pope. So, you know, Bob's got to come up somewhere. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, like my first psychedelic trip was at 17, but after that I did not have any more psychedelics until my mid beginning, mid thirties. Really? Um, so it was like a good, good, good long pot smoker, but <laughs> I didn't, didn't take any other trips until my thirties. That's crazy. Why the, why the long pause? <laughs> Was it just not a, was it just not something you were, was it, were you worried about doing it again? Or was it like, just didn't have a good time to go off into the mountains? Well, in 19, beginning 20, I, I moved from Mexico to Germany to study. And I entered, uh, I, I signed up for comparative religion, philosophy, and political science. Well, no, actually art history, but then I dumped art history for political science around 2003 when the Iraq war started because like, what the fuck? I need to understand what is up with world politics now. I love that. You're like, they did what now? What happened to those towers? Oh my God. What is the, what? Hold on. I gotta, I have to pick up a book. I'm sorry. Oh God. That's great. It's like, look, sorry, Picasso. I have to figure out this whole guns, oil business that's going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I love yeah, that. The interesting thing is like, I wanted to actually study psychology, but uh, out of uh, a lost fight with bureaucracy, I could not enroll in psychology. So I went in to look in which subjects I could enroll that were free to enroll without this bureaucratic numero clausus stuff. And then I went down the list and it was like, yeah, okay, philosophy, I want, I want to do that anyway. And art history, I, I wanted to study art at some point, so I'll take art history. And then I saw the word, and like in German, it's religionswissenschaft. So it's like religious science. It's not comparative religions. It's just, it says the word is science of religion, right? So religion, and I was like, what? There's like a study subject where religion and science is in one word. I'll take it. Oh man, I just, all my brain is thinking is the Aleister Crowley. It's a, the, our method is science. Our aim is religion. It's like, ah, that should be a class, right? <laughs> um, but the professor, like I entered, I entered college with this, still like this thirst for knowledge. Like I want to understand the ultimate questions and mm. I want to understand the reason for existence and whatnot. So I'm going to study religion and philosophy and art and then later politics. But my professor for comparative religion in the first semester, he was also a Catholic and he was very adamant about kicking out new agers. 
Really? So oh. the introductory lecture was kind of like a very hard construction of syncretistic new age uh, thought. Oh. <laughs> so he collapsed my worldview, like like it really broke. And I had like my first uh, um, crisis of faith. Really? And had to decide if I would continue to study comparative religion or if I would continue to believe whatever I had come to believe um, in my more eclectic, kind of like individualistic path of trying to figure out what the hell is wrong with this world. Oh, wow. So you, you've just been at war with Catholicism your whole life, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and oh, it man. continued, actually. Oh, no. It gets, oh, it gets worse? <laughs> Did you have to, like, fight a, a bishop at some point or what? <laughs> okay. uh, no, no, okay. but I'll come to that bit. Um, <laughs> so, like... the. This this comparative religious study was a very mindfuck in itself of like deconstructing epistemologies, trying to understand that if we're going to looking at different cultures, we need to first deconstruct our own cultural approach and premises and axiomatics and epistemologies and trying to get to some meta level of trying to look at different cultures and understand their epistemologies and cosmologies. So we basically mind fucked ourselves mm. into our perceptions of reality in that in that field of study. And I ended up already as a method methodological agnostic. That was the that was the thing. Like we were practicing methodolo methodological agnosticism. And it became like very ingrained way of thinking for me. But I became also Quite, a, quite an atheist and in philosophy I was more drawn to like existentialism and nihilism and I don't know, I think I became quite a sarcastic um, yeah, sarcastic nihilistic atheist <laughs> with a lot of rage against Catholic Church <laughs> like, I... by the end of my studies <laughs> So sort of a <laughs> Sort of a, a, a proto Reddit fedora wearing atheist type where it was like you were just ready to rage against the uh the sky daddy. Yeah, yeah. totally. Okay. So I entered the fields of politics and I founded in the Green Party, I founded the secular Greens that campaigned for separating church and state. And for a couple of years I really put all my rage into that political cause. <laughs> How do you how do you feel about that sort of uh, how do you feel about sort of that raging against the uh, the establishment now? Are you like clearly you you have a lot to you have a lot against the current established status quo? But do you, do you think that sort of like very active antagonistic approach? Do you feel like that's still viable, or is that something like you know maybe no no hard no like no it's just not no no like I I burned out quite a couple of times in different approaches of changing the system. And I've just gotten to the conclusion. It was like a, a, a quote from Bucky Fuller. If you, if you want to, if you want a change of system or a change of model, create yeah. a new one to yeah. make the old one obsolete. Yes. Yes. I see. Yeah. And I, I, think... I think that's way, way, way <laughs> much worthwhile 
investing energy into because I just feel this shit show will just collapse. So that's actually where I was going with that is that I, I think in a way, maybe, uh, maybe Bucky wasn't quite as aware of, uh, the, well, I, I say that he definitely saw the writing on the wall, but I think he left out the part that it's like, you know, if you just wait, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these particular models will make themselves obsolete by driving, by just nose diving into the ground. Cause they're not sustainable. The thing is, <laughs> yeah, that will probably happen and it's not going to be nice. I, I suppose, uh, it's, it might sound a little defeatist, but it's also accepting when there's certain things that are just mostly out of your hands, I suppose, where it's like, you know, the, the environmental cataclysms that are going to come are probably going to kill a lot, a lot, a lot of people. I can't, I wish I could, but I, I, I'm not in the position to save them. So sometimes you just have that, uh, maybe gallows humor about it where it's like, yeah, yeah, things are going to really go off the rails. I guess some, some sort of, maybe it's not so much gallows humor as a bit of more like discordian humor. Yeah. You know, there's a season of chaos, there's a season of discord, and then there's bureaucracy, and then comes aftermath. And aftermath just ain't pretty. It's not. But it's necessary. Yeah. I suppose there's uh, maybe even a bit of, uh, at, at least the root of, of some certain philosophies like accelerationism are in there. That understanding of like, you know, sometimes for things to get better, things do have to fall the hell apart. Not that I'm condoning, not that I'm condoning accelerationism. I need to, I need to say that because people will get the wrong idea, but it's something that it, you know, there are a lot of times that that is the, uh, the driving factor where it's like, it's shit's going to fall apart. Why fight it? I'm also not on the side, on the side of like lighting fires to accelerate it, <laughs> but it's still kind of just a, 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 a mental stand or a perspective of like, shit is about to hit the fan and it ain't going to be pretty. And we can't lament that or we can't ready ourselves to navigate that and navigate through that and hope for the best. Like, and that's a, a bit like a solar punk. It's a, a, a philosophy or like a, a movement or a kind of a wave that I'm interested in to say like, yeah, we know the world is kind of falling apart and the system is collapsing and it ain't going to be pretty, but we still decide to maintain positive narratives and still keep looking for solutions of creating pockets of reality that can thrive and survive and adapt to whatever it may be that it's coming. Yeah, and then uh, the uh, the sort of permaculture movement is is also very much yeah. about that, where they know it's like, yeah, things are going to be bad, but there are there are things that we can be doing that are are sustainable and do have the potential to survive the collapse. And I think uh, in a lot of ways, that's a, that's our hope. You know, that's that's what we've yeah. got. It's like things are going to get bad, and how do we? And there, I suppose, there is also always the possibility that uh, we will engineer our way out of these climate disasters. I'm sure we're not going to be able to put, to make something to put out every fire, but there are things that we could theoretically be doing now that would mitigate a lot of the effects of uh, climate change and stuff like that. So you never know. I mean, uh, I always do love that raw quote of uh, the optimistic mindset finds, you know, a dozen solutions to the, yeah, solutions that the pessimist thinks as as being impossible you know 
So you just, you do have to, and I, I do exactly. think that humanity as a whole, we do need myths that yeah. bring, we need, we need narratives and myths that, that bring hope that, that do say, Hey, yeah. there's going to, there are, there is a way out of this. And, uh, in a way that is, that goes back to what I was saying a little earlier about chaos magic coming out of an era of great social upheaval and collapse that it was, it was an attempt of finding the new narrative, finding the new, uh, the new myth that someone can hang their hat on and be like, well, yeah, shit's fucked up, but where, how do you navigate that? And what, what, and, and maybe in a way it's like more than how do you survive, but how, how can you take the situation that you're in and make the most out of it? Exactly. And, and it also gives permission for you to create your own myth, which is more fascinating, I think. Uh, can you, can you elaborate on that just a little bit more and the idea of creating your own myth? I think one of the, the core principles of chaos magic relies on this creating, creating the possibility for you to be your own psycho-spiritual authority and not needing to take on narratives from someone else or maps from someone else or or deciding between like two meta narratives you can also just do it yourself now <laughs> do your own myth yeah okay okay and, and, and create the story that works for you right, right. so yeah. Yeah. that's a little bit like my my mythopoetic language i'm kind of trying to establishing is this cos cosmic customer care department right yeah, yeah. In the sense of like, yeah, I might be in for this weird ride of transition where things are probably get pretty wacky and difficult. And the way I make meaning of this is, right, I signed up for a shift for the Cosmic Customer Care Department. So I came to the shit show on this timeline <laughs> <laughs> to, to be of service in some way. <laughs> You're like, I, I, look, I signed up this... This you look out at the world and say, you know what? This is insane mayhem, but you know this is what I signed up for. <laughs> this is why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a there's a certain level of empowerment to that that is really uh, that's that's really really something. Actually, uh, I I quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and it's about empowerment. I think cow's magic in general, uh, like all, all all magical pursuits, I would say at the end of the day, is about empowerment. So. Storytelling and myth building is one way we can create empowerment for ourselves. What are the stories we're telling ourselves about the world? What are the stories we're telling about ourselves? Are they victim stories or are they empowering stories? And we have the freedom to choose. You know, I, I suppose in a way what I just said earlier about accepting certain things being out of your hands, I've already fed myself a line that it's like, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. Maybe I need to flip that, <laughs> need to do something that's like, you know what? I, you know, there is, there are things that, uh, I'm capable of doing, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we haven't come back to the, when the Robert Anthony, <laughs> yeah, I, was gonna, my life. I do want to, I, I did want to get back to that, but you, uh, you kind of, you kept saying interesting things and it's like, I don't want to break this. 
you know, you were, <laughs> you had a good flow. So I, I do, I do actually want to hear where uh, Robert Anton Wilson came into your into your life as far as uh, influencing you. And you, so you started saying that like you hadn't had a, a psychedelic experience until you you were entering your thirties. Did is mm, that where he exactly. came up? Um, yes, he did. Um, I think. I don't remember if I had MDMA before my first encounter with Robert Anton Wilson or after. I'm not really sure about that uh, the time of that event, but definitely the acid came in later. I read Illuminatus before and I had I, I experienced a massive burnout in this quest against the German churches. <laughs> 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 because oh. Little Mariana against like the German churches was quite a big Don Quixote mission. <laughs> uh, uh, well, Don Quixote is one of my spiritual guides, so I, I definitely relate to that. <laughs> I uh, I have been on a spiritual quest against some windmills before. <laughs> so I was uh, I was uh, doing five weeks in a psychosomatic clinic. And my flatmate gave me the Illuminatus trilogy to read. Wow. You <laughs> so, have a good roommate. <laughs> well, maybe no, the- my, my flatmate from college, not my not oh. the clinic flatmate, oh, but my okay. cl- flatmate from oh, college. Okay, he gave got me it, got it. the Illuminatus trilogy <laughs> to read. And when I come back, he handed me the Principia Discordia. <laughs> he was like, your initiation is complete here. <laughs> yeah, you're ready for this. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. Uh, yeah. I was going to, I, I just had one thought and uh, I, I really do want you to continue on, but I thinking of the uh, Illuminatus trilogy, the, the leader of the uh, Arisian liberation front, when he asked, he's like, I, you know, you know why I survived all this is because I don't give a fuck about good and evil. And I'm thinking like, maybe that was like the seed that needed to be planted for you when you were, you spent all this time trying to fight the system. And it's like, Hmm, what if I just didn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> but go on. <laughs> I'm sorry. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. And then something very interesting happened. I was part of the Greens, right? I was in politics. Mm-hmm. So I came back from the clinic. Yeah, some leader functionary from the local Greens that I had sent in my resume in and I had put in that one of my hobbies was live action role playing, invited <laughs> me to a live action role play. And then I asked like, well, what's the setting of the story? And he said like, it's a rebellion against the monastery. And I was like, yeah, can I play the rebel leader? And he was like, nah, that role we didn't want to occupy. It's just like a behind the scenes role. And the fraction of the rebels is already pretty full. But would you be open to play in the fraction of the old goddess? And I was like, hmm, well, I'll take a look. Mm. So I go to the website and start like digging through the lore of this game world because this game world had existed already since 1991. Um, we're talking about that this was 1914 or something like that, or 14, 15. Then I realized that the old goddess he asked me to play for was named Fractala and was the goddess of chaos. Oh. And I, and I immediately like fell in love with it <laughs> because I felt like there was a, there, that was an, another version of Eris, but a very like playful, wild, free love, mm-hmm. colorful version of Eris. And I said yes. And then he asked me like, 
if I would be willing to play the Chaos Priestess because there hadn't been a Chaos Priestess in that game world for a while. And he asked me if I wanted to have a light experience or an interesting experience. And I just like frantically laughed. <laughs> so they they kind of wove me, wove my character very deep into the plot. And I named that character Mavis. Oh, okay. As an homage already, because that was a name that came to mind in that moment. And there's a character in the Illuminatus trilogy that's named Mavis, if you remember. You see, you say that and now it's like, that sounds about right, but... <laughs> Yeah, you know, maybe you're just maybe you're just uh, pulling one over on me and planting the memory, but I believe. <laughs> so then, uh, well, Mavis is the character that recruited George. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, sure, 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 and then, <laughs> all right, yeah, 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 okay, I think I got this. So you chose yeah. that name, and then you're 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 sort of brought into this uh, this game, and it was super intense. Well, it was five days of live action role play. So you fully immerse into your characters and all interactions are from the characters. So I'm playing a chaos priestess. Uh, so, no, so no stop, like, like literally get up in the morning in character, go to bed in character. Exactly. Wow. Now, okay. And here's the thing, right? I know this wasn't an explicitly magic act, but in t- I mean, I guess it's almost akin to method acting, but that is a exceptional exercise in uh trying to fuck with your own head <laughs> that's very yes. yeah like that's wow I, that's wow i am uh i'm impressed i don't know if i could i um as someone who you know does a podcast twice a week where i uh or uh once every two weeks sorry where i i very much put on a face and act like somebody i i don't know if i could maintain composure for that long <laughs> I really went all in with that role, really. And I had I, I I had devised a couple of rituals. There were a couple of rituals given by me given to me as well by the game masters. And I was the only like I had a couple of like four or five other players playing in my fraction, so like a little bit of support team, but I was the leader of that little fraction and we were in the in this world, there was this world of like light and dark, you know, like the demonic side and the the, the light side, and we were playing on the light side, um, and I was like super complexly woven into the plot and had a huge mission to fulfill of a very complicated ritual uh, that I had to get a lot of quests done so that I can make that ritual happen. And at some point, the 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 knights of light came into the into the playfield, and they decided they wanted to burn me as a chaos witch, as a witch. So I had to hide in the forest. People had to bring like I spent like two days hiding in the forest <laughs> in the hideout. People bringing me food, trying to negotiate my surrender into the citadel to not be burned as a witch. And I don't know, it was super psychologically very straining and intense. But I also performed a couple of rituals and these rituals were supposed to make be just like game, right? But I called upon gods of chaos and gods of um, Vansen, which is like um, um, madness. Right, right. And, <laughs> and I don't know what happened. You know? It's like things happened and, it, and, and it, I, I, the, I felt energies, I felt sort of possessed, I felt... 
I collapsed. Uh, other players later said, like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> is there some insurance for religious damages from live action role playing somewhere? Because this was just weird. So what you're saying is that this this game very much blurred the line between fiction and uh, reality for you in the, that sort of like yeah. magical sense, I suppose. And that yeah. a way that this this narrative and this story and this uh, this world that you were ingraining yourself into took on a life of its own, where it's like you know I I thought I was doing like fake game ritual, and then it it brought it, it brought the the real spooky woo woo showed up. Exactly, <laughs> absolutely fascinating. And this character sort of like spawned into my life, mm. and I couldn't return to my normal life after that. It was I, I, it felt like I was about like two weeks fully disassociated for <laughs> dissociated <laughs> from my from my everyday life. Uh, everything felt super surreal. Um, suddenly, what I had planned to make a PhD made no sense at all. I had mm. absolutely no desire to to keep on in academia and, and write my PhD. And out of the blue, I decided to move to Berlin and enroll in the German Hemp Association and dedicate my life to legalizing marijuana. Ah. Just like ah. that. So, so basically... Uh... Mariana walked on, but Mavis walked out is what happened. And then your your whole life got uprooted and, and sort of irrevocably changed. Exactly. <sighs> Fascinating stuff. I mean, uh, as, a, as a, a very big fan of Grant Morrison, and I'm not sure if you're familiar, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, well, he, he had uh, The Invisibles where he created the character of, of King Mob or uh, Gideon Stargrave or, you know, you know, same guy. But they're just they were these uh, stand-ins for Grant himself. And he talked about how by writing the character a certain way, he found himself becoming, you know, he's, I wrote King Mob as this sort of uh, international man of mystery. And then I, I found myself living the life of this sort of international man of mystery. <laughs> and, mm. and then I, and he writes him where he, uh, the character's getting tortured. And then it's like, and then it's like where he ends up with a, a like a flesh eating virus. And then I end up in the hospital with a flesh eating virus. <laughs> in a way, there's a very exciting potential of, of uh, building a character that become, that you, you become part of an interplay with. And then in a way, there's also a, a danger where it's like, you know, you, you gotta be careful because you might find yourself becoming someone completely new. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that's where I where I also take the belief that there is huge power in claiming your own myth and claiming your own narrative. And sometimes I like to do that also with coaching clients, for mostly with those that are inclined also to, to role playing. Um, if they want to create change to go about it like that. So let's do your character sheet. Like, where are you at? What's the skill set? How are your points distributed on your sheet? And then where is it you want to go? What kind of a character does that need to be? So like, okay, where do we have to invest the experience points into so we can't become that character and we can't live up to the role that we want to take on? Very interesting. And how, how did the uh, how did the life coaching become the the avenue for you was it was it soon after that was this uh was I, I suppose the answer is how recent of a development was this where you were like or, or not maybe not recent but how soon after that sort of uh 
collapse of your old self? Did it be like, well, you know, uh, maybe trying to help others do a similar thing seemed like the, the path forward for you? Um, I think it took about five years to get there. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I moved to Berlin and I, ha- I had been giving for this character. A friend of mine had lent me a cow sphere as an mm. amulet that I used. Mm. And after that role-playing game, I couldn't take it off. So I was like wearing my cow <laughs> sphere. I moved to Berlin, started becoming like, I started working for the German Hemp Association as a campaigner and volunteer management. So the new philosophy was, okay, if I cannot change the system from within through politics, I'm going to liberate drugs so the drugs do the job of liberating. <laughs> if I if I just let people if I let people have the pot, then maybe they'll start waking up. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think I uh I think the I think there's a lot of people in the US that seem to think that that's the answer. Now, um to get on my soapbox for a second, I think that uh, we're we're gonna be in trouble if we let all of the uh, the if we let the pharmaceutical industry take the reins on all of this because right now a lot of psychedelics are getting uh, the a okay but as long as uh, somebody that has a uh, an MD at the end of their name that is allowed to say okay you can take this but I do yeah, think there is yeah I mean it's 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 just trying to control it it's it's just what happened in the 60s, 70s again where they realize okay well we can't stop it so how do we instead of uh instead of it being the cia having the vice grip on it and deciding we're going to use it to try to make like (laughs) fucking uh, manchurian candidates it's going to be all right let's just let capital decide who and how and why you're allowed to use consciousness altering substances i'll get off on a tirade if i let go for too long but i do understand that mentality of like let's just if we just let the substances be free, maybe people will uh, figure out their own way. Exactly. And that's why I'm also so passionate about bringing Leary back into the game and popularizing Leary's model because I just feel that that spirit of do it yourself, be a psychonaut, explore for yourself, um, find out what works for you. Also, chaos magic, you know, it just holds this potential of liberation, rebellion, resistance to the whole medicalization, to the whole totalization of, of, of thought. Yeah. And I, I think maybe, maybe there's something to be said about the, um, the potential for things to go wrong, the potential for failure, because when you are doing it yourself, you know, there is, there is the chance that things Mm -hmm. go wrong, but maybe, Maybe that's the only viable way forward. If we just if if you allow your uh, if you allow the fate of your uh, reality to be in other people's hands, then you're never really you're never gonna you, you by definition you cannot reach anything that is liberation <laughs> because you're just letting other mm. people decide. Yeah, and and that's why I have passion to sh- to share this these models and the tools I found in, in in the work of Robert Anton Wilson and Antero Ali and in the Eight Circuit Brain Model and Chaos Magic, because yeah, for sure, you start experimenting with reality, shit can go wrong. No questions asked. I've also been through my own ordeal 
of being an, an, a naive and sort of arrogant neophyte <laughs> and casting too much spells, <laughs> taking too much drugs and, and then earning and earning the, 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 the bit slap yeah. of that of that course of action and having to do the inner work to, to getting back to to some sort of baseline and coherent reality. And I've seen quite a few magicians and psychonauts go totally bunkers, psychotics, and 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 going down deep rabbit holes of despair and um, dysregulation. So, for sure, this it all sorts of psychonautics and, and psycho spiritual technology has a caveat, and I think there was a reason why this technology was kept mostly in very well guarded um initiatory societies because usually they would prepare the candidate as well on a physical level on an emotional level on a mental level they were, would be embedded in some sort of community and then receive the the shocks of initiations the shocks that would shatter their world the shocks that would like open up their system for different perceptions of reality and for the malleability of reality but they would be embedded in a community that could hold them and um, so they could integrate that experience as well. And now we have all the psycho-spiritual technology and drugs available to us mm, mm, at I a Telegram message or <laughs> at a YouTube channel. Um, and for one side, it's great. Yeah, like I'm on Team Leary, you know, let, let the people have it. Let's not gatekeep it. Let's let's share the technology. Let's share, share the tools. But also, I think we do need to provide spaces and services and frameworks for people to reconstruct themselves when shit goes wrong. Yeah, you know, you, you're saying that and it sort of clicked for me that it goes back to what the where the conversation, a lot of this conversation started and that the idea that the way we live isn't conducive to what this uh, this primate body is it was accustomed to. And in the same way that these uh, these grand spiritual, magical, initiatory experiences worked is that it's like, yeah, sure, it's powerful, but you had so much prep and you were within a, a group of people who understood what you were going for and what the, the pitfalls yeah. of what could happen. And, and like we said, it, it is good that these things have been proliferated to the masses where anybody who wants to, anybody who wants to know anything about magic, they just got to get on their keyboard and start typing away and they can find it. And, you know, like I, there's many, there's many a men with uh, little plastic baggies behind gas stations that can give you some things that might, uh, <laughs> that might, <laughs> well, I mean, I guess you could always go to the mountains too, if you're fancy, but, but there's a, you know, it's it, the stuff is it's there, but we don't have the, uh, we don't have the communities. We don't have the, the structure that is, I, I guess in a weird way, it's like that, the, the chaos is always there. You know, the chaos is going to run rampant. Yeah. The structures to uh, to keep you from going completely off the rails isn't. And I uh, I can speak for myself where it's like I've, I've in any anybody who is a, a longtime listener heard me talk about when I've played Cosmic Trigger games and won Cosmic Trigger prizes. And I didn't, I had 
next, I didn't have any, the only person I had was, uh, was Kennedy, the, the, the other guy on this show where I would just talk to him and be like, man, this is going nuts. And he's like, yeah, that sounds really crazy. And he had, and and he hadn't been, (laughs) he wasn't in a position to, uh, to be the hierophant or anything for me and be like, yeah, I know it's crazy, but it's like, at least I could talk to him, but I didn't have anyone that was going to be there to keep me from going completely nuts. And it's, uh, it's, I think mostly luck that I didn't go completely bonkers. You know, I, I, I could, I guess I, I could be one of those people that was convinced that, uh, I was the next prophet of the Aeon or I could be in a padded cell, but you know, I just, I, <laughs> instead I got the, 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 the worst of all fates where now I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, come Doomed. on. That's not so bad. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Doomed to the worst yeah. fate imaginable. <laughs> no, no, I love doing, no, the, that's the worst part. I love doing this. So <laughs> it worked out very well for me. But uh, do you feel like that this, uh, this, this sort of transformational coaching is, uh, it, it, that's what you're here for is that you you know that like people are going to have these experiences. People are going to mind fuck themselves. People are going to fall flat on their face because they were, they fucked around and then they found out and it's like, well, somebody has got to be there to help them make sense of it all. Exactly. I think that's, that's one of the the roles I'm signing up for as an agent from the cosmic (laughs) customer care department. Um, I still love that. You need a, you need to make shirts that say that. (laughs) Um, I well, I like to I like to accompany all kinds of processes, even and that's where like this Gordian philosophy comes in again, right? So um, that was one of the major revelations for me that order is not the opposite of chaos, but chaos has in itself a balance of order and disorder, and there's also a balance between creative order and creative disorder and creative order and disorder and destructive right, order and disorder. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The destructive arisenism versus destructive anorisenism that, that, yeah. Yeah. So this, this applies like to the, to the outside world as well to our inside world, right? You can have a, a, a structure that gives you order, um, that that's provides some order for you to thrive and be creative and, and uh, be uh, well resourced. But order can become um, destructive as well, like an overbearing bureaucracy or to- totalitarianism that reduces creativity and reduces life in general, like um, possibility. And this can be in your inner world as well, in the sense of like you have a good psychological order that keeps you functional and keeps you thriving and keeps you creative. Or you can have a psychological order that is constrictive and limiting. I, maybe in that, maybe in that way that you were talking about uh, the the sort of survival mechanism of living in Berlin, and the the same way we described it is that it it is a, a survival mechanism of of shutting people off and saying these you know these are the NPCs and you know these are the automatons I'm I don't need to interact with them, but it, it's functional, but it can only go mm-hmm. on for so long before it's like I have I have disassociated I I have completely cut myself off from the world. And, uh, and I guess I suppose that it's like there, that is, that's functional. That's serve, you know, that's surviving and that, that is a, an order that works, but 
somewhere along the line. Are you, you thriving as well? Exactly. Yeah. It's like, are you, you're, you're living, but are you, are you building? Are you, are you growing? Mm. Or is it, are you simply mm. stuck in your, your mechanism? And this is where disorder comes in, right? You can have like a pinch of creative disorder that can come in the form of like <clears throat> civil disobedience. If you look at it at the collective or in your personal world, you can bring in a little bit of psychedelics or a little bit of discordianism or oh, yeah. something like pranks, something that just like snacks you out of your order to allow for a more influx of new ideas and allow for an influx of new information, like breaking a little bit of your reality tunnel. But it can be also like massive destructive disorder when you have just like an overdose that totally shatters your reality tunnel and leaves you dysregulated and then you're just not functional for for a while perhaps you know recovery from like a total 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 reality tunnel nervous system meltdown can take up to several years to recover from right right and i and then there's always like the i i suppose that if there's this idea that if you've if you're someone who has a, a halfway decent handle on yourself and you have a flexibility and you have a uh, a certain level of I, I know how to 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 move through the chaos of it all. When something destructive and negative happens to you, you can find ways to uh, to like. Well, you know, I, I'm not gonna like exactly like you get in a car wreck or something like that. It's like I'm not gonna put. I'm not gonna like spin the car wreck into a, a complete positive, but you you're able to find the silver linings of it or like the the unseen or uh, or the 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 benefits of it that could happen that are, uh, that if you were stuck in this particular mindset, it would, all this would just be a pure negative. And instead, because you have a certain level of, uh, self mastery, maybe is a good word for it, that you're able Mm. to find the benefits of the negatives in your life. I don't, I, I've, I stopped looking for like the, the benefits. It's more like this very discordian way of looking at things of, the liberation is when you can't laugh about the cosmic joke when it's been played on you. Hmm. Yeah. So when like shit is hitting the fan, <laughs> it's more like it's more like finding the absurdity in it and laughing about it. Maybe there's not yet a silver lining. Maybe there's not yet a positive thing. But if you can laugh at the absurdity of the shit that's happening in your life, <laughs> you know, you know that you, is you uh, find a way out. that is definitely uh, that that's definitely something that I think. <laughs> a lot of people can relate to. It's like, yeah, there's never all, it's not, you're not always going to be able to spin something into a positive, but if you're able to, to laugh about it, you know, you'll, you, being able to laugh about it says that you're going to survive it in, in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what I'm passionate about to, to, to help people. Like I, I call the mission, the playful liberation of consciousness, consciousness, and I'm trying to reclaim the recent liberation front in the, in a more playful way and not a militant way. Um, in the sense of, uh, trying to support people to move through the states of chaos, right? If there's confusion, if there's like a high dysregulation or like just too much chaos to navigate, to help them get back to a sense of creative order. And if they're too stuck in some disorder or stuck in some 
order that doesn't serve them to like bring a little bit of fresh um fresh creative disorder into it a little bit of fresh chaos <laughs> so I'll, i'm also a little bit of a trickster so if you if you hire me as a coach <laughs> i might mind fuck you as well a little bit out of your uh, rut well <laughs> this is something you need to expect uh there's a little a little gurgif in you is what i'm hearing <laughs> I don't know about that. That my my inspiration comes from Eris. <laughs> <laughs> if someone were to uh, a- approach you with a problem, like where I, I understand a lot of these things are contextual, but do you sort of have a like? Hey, th- no matter what the issue is, it's like this is going to be the starting point, or do you, or, or is it a, a very like? Whatever uh, whatever problem someone is coming to me with, I I, uh, I have to look at it purely contextual. Like, all right, th- if this is the issue, I have to start here. If this is the issue, I start here, and so on. Or is, is do you find that there is a uh, a route that you always start with? No, I would say there's it's um, it's always exploratory in a way, right? So it becomes about exploring the problem and 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 trying to find the root cause or the, the buggy programming, if you will. So I would say the eight circuit brain model and background in chaos magic informs my way into how to approach um, um, other reality tunnels and, and programmings of reality tunnels. Um, and no matter what problem somebody comes to me, it becomes about, okay, let's try to get clarity. What is it that you want out of this coaching journey? Um, and then, I mean, the basic, very, the, the very basic magic that already gets us like 80% or like maybe more of the way is just um, asking curious questions, giving powerful reflections to what is being shared and trying to guide the person towards whatever they said as a, as a goal or intention, what they wanted out of the coaching session. And then sometimes when we get clarity about the transformation that is being sought after, I will include a little bit of like sigil work or ritual work uh, with the clients so that we can anchor that desire for change deeper into the system after we've like debugged um, whatever is the the, the the bug or the the, right. the thing they're like hung up on. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, do you find yourself? I uh, and I don't want you to. I don't want to suggest that you're making very general sweeps about people's problems. But do you find that very often when someone comes to you for a coaching session, you're like, "Oh, that is a uh, <laughs> that sounds like a a fourth circuit, you know, social sexual problem, or is like this is a a second circuit like emotional hierarchy problem, like that sort of thing?" Or do you do you uh, do you try to avoid? I guess the question is, do you, do you find yourself categorizing in that way or do you sort of like, do you let things like if if it's going in that direction, you just say, all right, it's going there. You don't, you don't want to put a a label on it until you have something concrete you can hang on it. Yeah, no, I, I, I enter, I enter each coaching journey more with a, pretty wide open curiosity to just explore the problem and to look where that leads. Okay. okay. Because at the end of the day, it's not psychotherapy. I'm not an expert on your life. I'm not an expert on your system. I might have my suspicions and the the model might inform 
a some trains of thought I might pursue or some some yeah some like avenues I might pursue of of inquiry. Most most like if I if I had to put a label, as I would say that most of my clients um, come with some C two issue, circuit two issues or something about like emotional emotional territory, um, self worth, um, self expression, self confidence um, stuff, or um, yeah, dealing okay. with emotion. Or emotional backlash. Um, okay. All right. But um, there's also other, like, I mean, we touch on everything, right? Like when you explore the issue, you will encounter some some belief stuff to look at. You'll encounter some social dynamics stuff to look at. Um, it's all connected at the end of the day. It's, and, and that's the beauty of also the eight circuit brain model. It's not about just like putting labels, but it's about understanding that we are a complex system and all those different levels of consciousness and different levels of existing interact with one another and, and influence one another as well. So I also always also try to, to look at it from the most holistic perspective I can come up with. Oh, okay. All right. Now I uh, I remember looking through um, one of your I, I believe it was your Instagram, but I I noticed a it was a thing where it was it was the chaos sphere, it was the, the chaos star. It it was that, but it was mapped to the eight circuit model. Was that mm-hmm. was that a, a was that like something that you'd come up with, or was that from somewhere else that you had picked up on that, or was that a like what can you tell me about that? Do you like the uh, as far as and I believe it also mapped it to the the sort of eight colors of magic, like the Peter Carroll type thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, exactly. The I um, that that specific coloration co- uh, correlations of colors to the circuits as my brainchild. Um, nice. Okay. Great. I think the first. I mean. I've encountered the the eight circuit brain model and Prometheus Rising was my first entry to it. Um but then I also saw it in um the Psychonauts Field Manual by Blue Fluke. Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. She compared the chakra model to the separate model to the eight circuit brain model and said like, you know, they work like they work differently depending also which model of magic you use with. And if you go more with this nervous system hacking um, model of magic, um, then the eight circuit brain model works as a good map for that, for that paradigm. Right. Um, so I, I, I found that I found that to be true and I, that resonated a lot. He did not correlate that to the colors of magic, and and I think that I don't know, I don't know exactly what what prompted me or urged me to do that. But I found like okay, that's eight, and this is eight, so let's see how they work together. <laughs> and I've talked to a bunch of other chaos magicians, and they would put the colors in it differently, or they would color correlate them differently. So like the way I've done it is just like my brainchild was like the way overlapping these two models makes sense to me. And I think that that it just, um, yeah, it it brings a a different flavor to working with the model and to working with this model, not only from a a neuroscience perspective, but bringing in a little bit more of like the magical, um, playful aspect of it as well, or like infusing the self-work that's possible with this model 
with a bit of more of like chaos magic flavor approach to to it and including rituals and um yeah the 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 general dance of a chaos magician being a psychonaut as well exploring the the limits of their minds and exploring their configuration and their interaction with reality bit of a sidebar here but it was just a thought are you familiar with uh robert a johnson's book inner work it was a big Jungian thing you familiar with that at no. all? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you the short version where it would start with, it was this, uh, this sort of four step process of, of dream analysis. The interesting part about it is that the final step was literally called ritual, where it was the idea of, all right, after you've done this sort of analysis of whatever you've, you've made your interpretations and you've come to this conclusion, you are supposed to take what you have, uh, the conclusion that you come to and find some way to solidify it in ritual and it, mm-hmm. it made me think where you were talking about the idea of anchoring uh, whatever uh, sort of coaching that has happened in a session with something like a sigil or a ritual sort of thing. But when uh, you're discussing the idea of the, the playfulness, the, the, uh, the fun of it, I suppose. And I, I find mm-hmm. myself sometimes with magic looking at it, it's like, you know, there's probably a slightly more straightforward way for me to handle this problem. But uh, there's a, there's an enjoy there is an enjoyment that comes from like you know what yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna wave my I'm gonna wave my sword around and I'm gonna vibrate a bunch of uh, different mantras and stuff because there's an enjoyment out of it. There's something yeah. great about there's something that's fun about doing this that it's like all right you know may, and maybe maybe it is that quality of of a. Uh, doing it in a way that it's like is fun that is enjoyable that does make it solidify a little better <laughs> it makes it take hold it's uh um, yeah because it also it also speaks to our inner child you know and it speaks to the part of herself that is free from all the constraints of social programming and uh of all the responsibilities of adulting and all of that, right? And 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 on moral imprints. So like this part of us is a little bit like freer and more connected to intuition and intelligence. And um by including ritual and magic into your life, you just create, I think, gateways to that part of self to come out and play. You and know, for me, definitely it was um when I when I decided to go full head on in Chaos Magic and Chaos Magic spoke to me out of being this very agnostic, atheistic person and I would still remain an I still remain an agnostic. That's why I'm also so fond of Bob Wilson's work. Mm-hmm. Um and 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 you can go about chaos magic in a very agnostic way. But the decision I made was like, okay. I can be a a sort of bitter <laughs> existentialist, nihilistic misanthrope, <laughs> or I can be a magician <laughs> and have fun. Oh <laughs> my god! I oh that is a that is a quote that that needs to be on plaques and posters everywhere in the, like every every stuffy robe tradition and every every group of uh, of like hardline occultists that think they're doing super serious thing. They need to look at that quote. It's like, I can be this bitter nihilistic person or I can be a magician. It's like, ah, I, I love but that. It's just so much more fun. The it's, world is so much more colorful and, and magical and fun and playful. If you go about things in a, with magical thinking. I mean, I, I'm a, I really do think that, um, 
one of the unstated goals of all these esoteric magical traditions is to to re-enchant the world to turn it yeah. from something that is something that is uh William Blake's satanic mills of of this you know this drab world of industrial toil and and find something that's like where you know where is the the living where's the living spirit in all of this where's the the enjoyment where's the laughter you know and oh, we need it. We will so desperately need it if we're going if we're going to face the shit show of the rapid cataclysmic change that is upon us. We just need to cultivate humor. And I think one of the one of the most important traits where you recognize a good magician is if they have a they have a good sense of humor. They they don't take themselves too seriously, and they can laugh about the cosmic joke if it's on them. Oh man, and that's why. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right, for all of our listeners, you wonder why we we make so many jokes and uh, goof off on this podcast so much. It's like, it's because we're good magicians. Just you know. <laughs> oh man, Yay. yeah. There you go. Oh man, I do have a couple other questions that I I sort of put in my notes that I wanted to talk to you about as we're getting we're getting closer to. Uh, the two so hour, long, long, long well, you know, the, the, well, you know, two hour mark isn't that bad. You know, I've, I've done much longer mm-hmm. unintentionally, but I, I did want to ask you right from the start, because you talked about your Catholic upbringing, right? Have you, mm. do you feel like you've been able to, to return to your, your Catholic roots with a, a renewed perspective and maybe find the, find the good in them at all, you know, find like the, the useful bits of it? as uh, coming through having all these fantastical experiences and letting chaos in, are you able to look back at the church and be like, you know what, there is some, you know, there's some useful stuff. There's some enjoyment to be found in these. Mm. Is that a no? No, I wouldn't go. No, I wouldn't go that far. I think I have made peace with it and I can let it be. Um, and I don't hold any grudge anymore. And I can see how it, for example, for my mom, it gives her a lot of meaning, a lot of support. It gives her, it gives her purpose, and that's all fine and that's all good. And I see that it's for a lot of people. It's just a way of of, of finding solace in this weird, um, weird and sometimes straining world. Um, for me, I think I, I made peace. I, I did an exercise of paradigm shifting when I was doing my novitiate at the IoT. And I did for for Catholic Lent. I did um, forty days of of Catholicism paradigm and like going to church and praying my Ave Marias and um, 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 abstaining from from masturbation and, and stuff like that. And I, I ended like I think God, one week really... or, or ten days in, I ended having like really bad nightmares of the devil. Oh no. <laughs> And and shunning my witchy friends, <laughs> and then I masturbated um, and it went away. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. My mentor said like, well, that happens when you when you start suppressing sexual desires. They yeah. they show up in your dreams, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I think that exercise did give me some peace. And if I now think of the question again. I would say that um, the at least the, the the period of Lent, I've I've come back to that as well. To during the period of Lent, to make make a habit of um, trying to to create some habit change and 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 
stop or stop indulging in some of my vices. Yeah, I do. I've done in the last last few years. I've I've used land actually to stop smoking weed for for these forty days, five weeks to see how much addicted I am, or I can just stop. Very interesting. I know when Lent comes around for me, I always, uh, I haven't, I don't think I did anything last year, but I, I've always acknowledged it. It's like, yeah, this is a very useful time if you wanted to start, if you wanted to start doing something, any kind of habit, you know, um, you know, it's a, it's a good time. And honestly, uh, even going, finding a church and going and like getting the ashes, you know, at, on Ash Wednesday, right at the kickoff can do a lot to, to like, feel like, oh, I'm going to use some, uh, some woo woo to get a, a first, you know, put my best foot forward on this. I use it to, to make a commitment ritual on that day, you know, yeah. like a self commitment ritual. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So that, and I was, I was curious about that as a, like I mentioned, I was raised Catholic and, um, I do, I find personally, there's a lot of things in Catholicism that I can, uh, at least aesthetically I can, I can crib and use. I remember, uh, doing the, the invocation to Horus using, uh, this big statue from my grandmother of the immaculate child, because it's like crowned child and conquering Lord. Ah, that's, Hey, that's him. I can use it for that. <laughs> you know, um, I'm sure my grandmother is going to be furious with me if she were to find out from the afterlife, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, probably my, my grandparents <laughs> are also frowning. <laughs> upon my path as a chaos magician, but yeah. I stopped giving a fuck about <laughs> well, what maybe, other people think about it. Maybe the dead know something we don't. So maybe they maybe they're looking on you fondly. They're yeah, they you know, she really found out what she found out the the quicker path. But I yeah. guess the only I mean I think it's a quicker path. I think chaos magic is a path of rapid evolution. I remember Carol has a, a description that it it's the uh, it's the steep ramp with no rails, where it's <laughs> it's very it's very fast, and if you know what you're doing, it'll get you there real quick. But if you don't, you can go barreling <laughs> off, you know. <coughs> yeah, and maybe that's I uh, can corroborate this yeah. experience. And that's I guess I suppose it's good that we have uh, we have folks like you. So when someone does go off the rails, yeah, they've at least got somebody to talk to. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, I know welcome. the the elder the elder gods were really messed up. It's all right. You're gonna make it. We'll we'll get you through this. <laughs> the other question I wanted to ask was: Do you think that there's a necessity in this sort of uh, inner exploration? of like psychedelics, do you think that there are, do you feel like there are other ways uh, in the, the William S. Burroughs, whatever can be done chemically can be done through other methods? Or do you think that psychedelics or at the very least, do you think psychedelics are the, the best method when it comes to some of these uh, methods of uh, inner, inner exploration and messing with your own nervous system? I don't know if they're the best, but certainly the fastest and most effective. Okay. Okay. One could say they're like uh, the, the 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 cheat the cheat <laughs> hacks. <laughs> it's the cheat code. It's the. But yeah. <laughs> um, no, but um, I think I think they're just like very powerful tools and very powerful catalysts to um, to activate us into higher states of consciousness. Um, they open up. They open up the filters, they open up perception, they open up uh, the sensitivity of the nervous system for for the 
reception and perception of signals yeah that are not 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 so readily available since i started very early with uh with mushroom with mushrooms at 17 i don't know um I, from direct experience if i would have been able to get where i got to if i just had practice meditation and ritual and magic i think once the once we've opened the channels we can cultivate them with a lot of psycho spiritual techniques from what I've heard, reports um, that there are um, they are different techniques um, in Sufi mysticism, for example, and um, certainly advanced yogas and and also ritual magic um, to deliver shocks to the nervous system, initi- initiatory shocks that will also open the neuroplasticity of the brain in such a way that we can activate the higher circuitry okay, or the so-called higher circuitry mm-hmm. according to this map. Um, <laughs> but I would say that every, every other technique that might apply, that might get us there requires a lot of dedication, a lot of hard work. Um, <laughs> Discipline. You've already um, look. You've already said it. And the other ways are hard. Drugs will. If you, now, I guess that that's the problem. Is that it's like to say that ju- if you just take drugs, you're not going to get there. If you just take them and think, oh, it's going to do all the work, then you know you're not going to get what no, you want. But no. at the very least, uh, would you rather? Do you want to go have to sit in a monastery for you know? three, four years to get the Shakti pot, or do you want to just, you know, go behind the gas station and hand somebody a $50 <laughs> bill and figure it out? <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's advantages and drawbacks. Do you know this, this ga- this old game of moksha from, uh, from Hindu, it's like more popular known in the Western world as the game of snakes on ladders. Wait, huh? I think you're about to blow my mind. Wait, what? <laughs> Snakes and ladders is from what now? How did I not know this? This game of moksha is like a, a, a game of enlightenment from the Hindu context. I don't know it very well, but I, I am familiar that it it, it, it has um, it has to do with this game of snakes and ladders. And this game of snakes and ladders was a game that I played as a kid. And then I figured out that there's a metaphor to that, to the path of enlightenment, because it actually comes like from the path of enlightenment of the game of moksha. So you have dice and there's like a field that goes around uh, on, the, on the table. And in some fields, there will be ladders that take you to higher levels. And in some field, there will be snakes that take you back down. Mm-hmm. So you like roll your dice and you advance normally. And sometimes you step on a ladder and it's like, Yoo-hoo! you leveled up like three levels. Or then suddenly you like step on a fucking snake and it <laughs> takes you all down five okay. levels. Okay, my only gripe with this is because I know the game Snakes and Ladders, but I just thought about this. It's like, oh, if it's like a Hindu thing, it's like the snake is supposed to take you up. That's the Kundalini, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I guess the Westerners were like, nah, nah, nah. Snake is the snake is from Garden of Eden. That takes you down. The, the ladder is Jacob's ladder that goes up. <laughs> uh, it's terrible. I didn't realize that that came. I didn't realize that was the origin of snakes and ladders. Oh, my mind is blown. Yeah. My reality is crumbling around me again. <laughs> so I would say that 
going the path of the psychonaut with pursuing chemognosis, as Peter Carroll called it, will take you on a lot of ladders and you can level up pretty quickly if you play if you play it right. But there's loads and of snakes. There's loads <laughs> of snakes as well. <laughs> oh man. And going down a snake means to me then just like landing in a nervous system dysregulated state, not being able to cope with your everyday reality <clears throat> tunnel or like a shattered reality tunnel in the worst case. And um, having to go on a <clears throat> longer healing quest to get some, get back to some sort of sanity and functionality that uh, will maintain survival. And um, I think that the other way is safer. It's still not safe. You still hear from like people, Westerners going into an ashram for six weeks in India and coming back and just having a meltdown, breakdown and not being able to cope with reality anymore and landing in some form of psychosis. It happens as well. I remember listening to uh, Rinpoche discuss uh, one of the brothers in his monastery, how uh, he lived there and everything was fine, but they, everyone understood that he was kind of thrown off because he had gotten to the the heights of these uh, sadhana practices where you're dissolving the channels and the winds within you, but he messed up. And uh, if you mess up, it can basically drive you bonkers. So he was, it was sort of just having a, a a crazy person living in the monastery with you, where everyone was, everybody watched out for him and they respected him because he had gotten so far. But he got about as far as he was going to get for that lifetime, and he uh, he really he hit a very serious pitfall. <laughs> he hit a, a real hard. He hit a very long snake, as it were. Mm. So even in these realms of like spiritual practices, there's the chance that you can totally go off the rails, but no one ever said it was going to be a hundred percent safe. If there was, there wouldn't be anything to gain. No. And Carol's magic and psychedelics, I think is just rather more like the, the high risk, (laughs) the high risk fast track. Win big, lose Uh, big. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And uh, take it with humor when you fall flat on your face and call the Cosmic Customer Care Department. <laughs> on that note, we're going to end with our uh, our palate cleanser question. How goes the work? <laughs> How goes the work? I have focused most of my magical work in developing my self-employed existence in the last two, three years, I would say. This means that I dedicate uh, intentional magic to getting better at uh, conveying the message, at talking, at learning um, how to deal with the robots and the algorithms and um, all that kinds of shenanigan. Some blue magic to <laughs> yeah to keep the keep the amenities and the and the good life. Got to keep the lights on going and um, also the jello magic of the constant refinement one needs to do on self when you enter the entrepreneurial path as well because when you decide to become a coach and then an entrepreneur and create a business yeah there's a lot of self-work to be done as well you know in a way you're you're selling yourself right you know that makes it sense. I don't want yeah. to make that sound negative, but you are part of it is your presentation. Exactly. And I mean, it's, um, um, I, I do like, you know, I do work with a servitor around this. I, um, 
I ha I, I do have my magical practice as well around the marketing stuff. Um, I do uh, host workshops and uh, I'm trying to um, inspire people to include ritual as a playful tool for them to to do their own reality hacking and 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 to 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 um create a more fun flavor flavor of self-work and trying to position also in the in the emerging psychedelic field as um someone spreading the word that you can do your own rituals you know you don't need to need to adopt only Colombian indigenous people's rituals for doing plant medicines oh, and yeah. you can also do your own urban shamanism if you approach doing psychedelic ritual chaos magic style and learning different texts and different tools you can implement in creating your rituals and being just more aware and conscious of curating set and setting for psychedelic experiences so that you can navigate those also more intentionally and safely in a container you can create for yourself as well. Um, and I would say I'm neglecting the more body-oriented physical practices um, to maintain um, maintain good body health. Um, I'm neglecting, I would say, uh, a meditation practice and integration practice of my own <laughs> um, because I've been more in this like creative output oriented mode of being that is, is, is that is now coming into a bit of a crash. <laughs> well, sometimes you sometimes you just have to see the direction you're going and be like, all right, I'm going to, you know, if, if this certain aspect is going to fall to the wayside, then fine. I'll just, I'll focus on what's, I, I'll focus on where the energy is right now and I'll get back to it and you find balance again. Yeah, it's it's always a game of balance and that's that's chaos surfing's about, right? You can control the waves of chaos coming your way, but you can you can have influence over how balanced you're standing on your surfboard. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, uh Mavis, where can people find you if they were to if they were interested in the the coaching or any of the other works that you're doing? So my main website is plain and simple chaosurfing.rocks. I have created now a portal to that is a a very complex WordPress learning management system with an online course um, that introduces the eight circuit brain model combined with the eight colors of magic and my approach at doing the work. Um, if guided by these two maps. And one can find that under study.cowsurfing.rocks. And I have like a free introduction of five videos that's completely free if you register. And then you can decide if you want to go deeper with the Balanced Psychonautics quest. Mm. And I'm around on Instagram as cowsurfer23, the same also on Telegram and a Telegram channel where I share about upcoming offerings and sometimes musings and shenanigans as well. Um, but I'm also very chaotic with my social media, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, I, I'm, I'm very ordered with my social media. It's like, all right, I take the Twitter and then I post the, the Twitter on the threads. I take the threads, I post the threads onto Facebook. The Facebook goes onto the Instagram, and I still 
like, you know, I still just end up going like, why am I not getting enough likes on this? <laughs> but uh, if, if anyone is interested in uh, the, the courses or, or the, the transformation coaching, any of that, we're going to have links in the post. We're going to link to all of uh, Mavis's socials, world, you know, everything that if you want to, if you want to find her, you'll be able to on this post. And this has been chaos magic news. If you are just joining us for the first time, we do a bi-weekly podcast. We post interviews like this at a, a semi-regular basis. If you look at chaosmagicnews.com, you'll find links to the pod, the interviews we do articles, and we also have some dank memes that you can find on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at chaos magic news. Uh, I suppose the only thing left here is, uh, Mavis, would you like the last word? <laughs> no. <laughs> ah, damn it! Just throw the, throw the whole interview out now. All right, and th- everyone, thank you for listening. Right. Good night. Enjoy yep. you.